Welcome to Retaining the Passion, Journeys Through Nursing. This is a non-affiliated podcast. Any views expressed by the hosts or guests do not necessarily represent those of the organizations they work for or are studying at, or any trade unions or professional bodies they are members of. Thanks for listening. Claire, we're back. I've missed you. We've had a bit of an extended time between podcasts. Oh, no, but for a good reason, for a good reason. Yes, so this podcast, we haven't been coming out fortnightly for this one. This one has been three weeks, but we very specifically wanted this to come out on International Sepsis Day, today, the 13th of September, which is also part of September as Sepsis Awareness Month. And we've got three amazing guests speaking to us um, this week about sepsis but just very quickly first our usual do 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 feature Claire what was your first time for everything this week well mine mine was quite um exciting and something that I wasn't sure well I wasn't prepared I didn't know it was going to happen I was running our depot clinic this week which I do on a rotor basis and when I arrived another nurse in uniform arrived from the ward to say she um had come to try and get some experience of doing depots because she hadn't really had much in her training and I was supervising her so I hadn't had really time to think about it and my initial reaction as I think a lot of us as newly registered nurses is I think they need to get somebody else <laughs> uh, enough and total imposter syndrome like how on earth can I supervise somebody else doing depots but there wasn't anybody else because especially in COVID, there's no spare capacity of people around in our building. Um, So I spent all day with her supervising her and helping build her confidence around depots. And actually at the end of the day, I realized I do know quite a lot about running depot clinic and I was able to give some support and encouragement and advice and actually I really enjoyed it so if you told me a couple of days before I think I'd have just stressed about it read loads of papers had some kind of mad plan but because I was uh, thrown into it without realizing which I wouldn't advocate necessarily but I just you know I'm competent I'm capable I was running the clinic and yeah it was great so my first time supervising someone and it was good that they were qualified because they had given depots and they knew about signing off meds and all of that kind yeah. of stuff so um yeah it was good what and it's so, it's so great no it's so great for you to be able to like reflect on where you've got to from where you came and be able yeah. to see that improvement in yourself I think that's really nice yeah definitely because I think one of my very first first times was running depot clinic yeah first time on my own and to see that I've gone from oh my goodness I'm in here on my own to actually I'm now in here with somebody else showing them how to do it is you know in six months is a massive progression so that was great so what did you do for the first time um, well, this one, I am a member of uh, International Nursing Society, Sigma Theta Tau. Um, it's always funny. It reminds me of like when you watch the American movies, the sorority houses. So I'm a member of that. And through... I'm just thinking you're legally blonde now. <laughs> oh, that would be me. Sigma Theta Tau. Uh, no, so anyway, back to the... <laughs> back to the I do a lovely bent and snap but back to the point um, so I'm a member of this International Nursing Society and through that they're taking part in the Nightingale Challenge and part of that is 
for novice nurse leaders to develop on this leadership program. So I took part in the introductory session to that and it's really great because it's nurses. In fact, I'm the only one at the moment who is a nurse from the UK that is on this program. So it's nurses from all around the world. So it's international collaboration and networking. And part of the program I'm really excited about is we get put with a mentor that helps like, it kind of ties on to the last podcast episode, ties on to career progression yeah. and how to help manage, get you where you want to get to. So I'm very excited to see what comes of that. So yeah, I felt, I felt very international yeah. this week. So we're going to go in to the first of our episodes. Now, you might think I'm a bit of a lazy part-timer. I was very busy uh, at work this week and Claire stepped Uh, up. I don't like to say. (laughs) Claire stepped up very admirably and led her first solo interview. So I think I'm going to be out of a job. And she spoke to two Kates from Wales. Hello, welcome. So first thing for me today is that this week I'm interviewing on my own because Craig is hard at work uh, on the wards and it's pouring with rain here in Manchester. So I don't know what it's like in Scotland with him. But I have got the pleasure of being joined by two lovely ladies, both called Kate, which could make this slightly complicated. So I'm going to start with one of the Kates who I've known for a while. And actually her name makes me smile every time I see it because your name's written K-A-Y-T-E. And when she joined a group of nurses, that I was involved in we had a secret debate outside of the chat about whether she was Kate or KT and then I had to ask her whether she was Kate or KT without phoning her so I was doing it by writing K8 or are you K8 or are you KT with a T so that's I'll always remember your name and see it so we've known each other for a while but if you introduce yourself and a bit about your nursing story that would be great. Thanks Claire so I am K8 I have been qualified just up coming up to 12 months, actually, just coming up to the one year mark. I know, don't. I am older, so I didn't come straight into nursing. I was actually a chef for 10 years first, which is, you know. How did I not know that? No, I was thinking talk about food all the time and I didn't know that. I know. Well, that's why I talk about food all the time. I have no excuse. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I came into it. I did an access course, then went on to my degree and started off qualifying on an acute medical board, but have recently, very recently, we're talking four weeks ago, moved to critical care. And this is where I met Kate without a Y, who was also (laughs) with you. So I shall now pass you on to Kate without a Y to talk about her. Thank you very much. So I've been qualified now for over 20 years. Makes me feel very old. I, when I started off nursing, didn't actually want to go into nursing, first of all, when I first started. I had a place to do psychology at university, but decided I didn't want to do it. So took a year out, worked for a year, and then decided that this is what I wanted to do. So did it, did it first, did my diploma, didn't want to do my degree, qualified. First of all, started off in, on a medical ward, medical respiratory ward, and then went to work on a urology ward. And then ended up in 2008 joining critical care, which is where I still am at the moment. But now I've obtained my degree because I decided that the degree was something that I wanted to do. Took me a long time. Finally got there by the time I was 40. Um, But I got there. So I qualified at 44. Did you? Yep. Yeah. So now on critical care and where Kate with a Y has just joined us. 
And yeah. Kayla, why you're very shy in your accomplishments, because the things that she hasn't told you that I'm going to tell you is that she oh. was runner up in the RCN Welsh Student Nurse of the Year last year. No, she never told us she that. She is. I'm, I'm <laughs> well gonna, done you. Oh, good. I like this. And she's oh, really involved. Actually bright um, word. <laughs> she was really involved in the student nurse project so was a voice for lots of other student nurses on twitter which is how we met that's brilliant and yeah so and she's been a real great sport she works with me still now um and craig on the rcn nqn twitter site giving her time freely for newly qualified nurses and she actually was the one who approached me and said you've got to do an episode with Kate that I work with. She's really inspiring. And it's all about sepsis. And so I think it's a really interesting topic and a little bit different than some of the other podcasts we've done. And we're hoping to bring some relevance to everybody. And am I right that the 13th of September is National Sepsis Day? Yeah, so is it is? September is Sepsis Awareness Month but they have a World Sepsis Day, which is it's always on September the 13th. doesn't matter what day of the week that falls on. It's okay. always September the 13th. And this year it's on a Sunday. But yeah, the whole of September is Sepsis right. Awareness Month. So we've pulled this together so that we'll be, right, we'll be launching this right in the middle of Sepsis Awareness Month. So hopefully we'll be able to get lots of information out to people about sepsis and why it's important to nurses. Yeah. So um, I guess the first thing to ask then is... Is sepsis something you think that all nurses should know about? Obviously, I'm a mental health nurse. We've got nurses that listen that are in all different kinds of fields and different practice. So is it something that we should all be aware of? Or do you think it's only really relevant to people in kind of clinical and medical areas? It's definitely something that every nurse should be aware of, but every member of the public should be aware of as well, not just nurses. It affects any any age any sex, any race, it knows no boundaries. So definitely something that everybody, everybody should be aware of. And I yeah, suppose I would trip no, I mean go, I would triply agree. Just in that one the talk that Kate gave to us was some of the statistics on it are absolutely shocking. Like two hundred and fifty thousand cases yeah. of sepsis each year just in this country and five people are killed every hour. Yeah. And wow. you think and there's there's so fifty two thousand just... deaths a year yeah yeah that's not just happening in hospital and when you think it's 25 it's sorry i'm just getting um the cost on our society as well um Mm -hmm. you know is something like 15.6 billion every year and the direct cost to the nhs is 1.5 billion and it is estimated that something like 2.8 billion could be saved with effective timely treatment and, and management of it and I think one of the things we, we would like to do in the future, and we, we talked about this before we started recording, is we'd like to get someone with lived experience. And I think that's something that, you know, it's really important to say is, you know, we absolutely don't take away from the fact that none of the three of us currently, have, you know, have, have had sepsis, yeah. as far as I'm aware. And so that lived experience, but I think from a mental health perspective, things like sepsis and obviously the prevalence of that, the impact that that has on a family and on an individual's mental health is immeasurable and so knowing how prevalent that is is really important to know yeah and 25 percent of survivors of sepsis will suffer life-changing permanent effects Mm -hmm. so if that person is for example the main breadwinner then that can have a massive devastating effect on the family so it's it's not just like you said it's not just the patients that affects it's families it's loved ones it has a massive impact on everybody And I know you, know you do a lot of follow-up work, don't you, Kate, with families that have had, you know, either been in critical care or have had sepsis. So 
it doesn't just stop yeah. when they leave the hospital it follows on that care afterwards which yeah so recently we feel how long term it is Mm. Yeah, and we've actually 40% of patients actually leave hospital and not know that they've even had sepsis. It's something that we don't, I don't know whether it's as nurses, we don't feel comfortable in telling people that they've had it. But I think this in in effect can cause even more anxiety and have another effect on their mental health because they go home, they suffer all these signs and symptoms afterwards, psychological symptoms, cognitive, physical symptoms, And actually, they don't understand why they're experiencing them because they've never been told that they've actually had sepsis. So that, in effect, can just add to their anxiety and things as well. I think it's almost like a dirty word, you know, as people almost see it as, oh, I must have caught that in hospital. And it's the understanding of, no, you didn't catch sepsis, you caught... You, you yeah. may well have caught the infection, but sepsis yeah, is you, your body's reaction to that. Yeah, it's not, you can't it's not get, a hospital-acquired thing. Yeah, you can't get sepsis without having an infection first. You have to have the infection because the sepsis is as a result of the infection. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you get on its own. And it's your body's overwhelming response to the infection that is the sepsis. So, so tell us then, I suppose this leads nicely into this question, tell us what are the most important things about sepsis that we should know as nurses or like you say, as, as members of the, the public, what do you think are the, the most so, important things uh, to know? So as members of the public, it can be quite difficult because you can think the, the signs and symptoms that you can get can be associated with so many other things. As a member of the public, the best way to remember them is if you look at the word sepsis, the different letters of the word sepsis they each can represent a sign or a symptom so s uh, slurred speech or confusion e extreme shivering or muscle pain p is passing no urine in a day s severe breathlessness i it feels like i'm going to die so it feels like you've never felt that ill before and finally another s which is skin mottled or pale So that's one thing that they can, you know, the way they can remember it, but also it can represent things like flu, gastroenteritis, because you can have vomiting. So it's it's very difficult sometimes to to distinguish, is this something that I need to be going to the GP about, or is this something that I can just perfectly manage at home? But sepsis is something that can be so treatable, but as long as you catch it in time. If you don't catch it in time, then it can lead to multi-organ failure and death. As nurses... I think the main key factor as nurses is if you feel, yeah, you've got, we've got a new score, you know, and if a patient news at more than three, then it's, we should be alerting, alerting doctors and getting further help, but trust your gut. That's, that's the big thing. And I think especially mm-hmm. as a newly qualified nurse, trusting your gut is something, you know, we've all had that feeling that there's something just not quite right. And yeah. We can't quite say what it is. Their numbers may look all right, but they don't look all right. And, and I think I, yeah, I think that I is really that. that is a really important thing to you know to take. And I think as a newly qualified nurse as well, it's sometimes hard to to phone somebody and say, "Look, I don't know what it is. They're just not right." And I understand yeah, doctors are yeah. busy, you know, and, and things. But how many times have we said it? We don't know what it is. They're just not right. And can you please just come and see them? So how, I suppose, I work in the community, so it's really interesting because obviously we learn about kind of new scores and things like that, but it's not what we're doing day to day. And, and although we're checking people's physical health. So how rapid is, is the onset of sepsis for most people? It varies. It can be extremely rapid, as in like a few hours. You can go from feeling just a little bit fluey to 
needing to come up to intensive care mm-hmm. within a few hours. For other people, it can be a bit more of a of a slower progression, if you like. I'd say that the people of around, I suppose, you know, the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, that kind of generation can be, it can be a longer process, whereas, because they can compensate a lot longer, whereas your elderly and your younger people, they can't compensate for as long and they fall off their perch, if you like, a lot quicker than what, than what perhaps a more uh, middle-aged person would. Does the infection, where the infection originated, does that make any difference to what the, the sepsis looks like ongoing or... Not really, because it can be caused by any infection, be caused by viral, fungal or a bacterial infection. It can be something like a small scratch that you get in the garden from, you know, doing your pruning your roses or whatever to something more major, like an abdominal sepsis or something like that, you know, from a perforated bowel or something like that. Um, and I will say but it's I not think always as... obvious where the infection is. Like you can no, it's have not. sepsis and then we find out afterwards where the, the original infection was. So yeah, you and do it, have to it, have that infection, but it's not always obvious where it is. Yeah. And it's not always, it's not always something that we find out where it is either. You can take blood cultures, you can take samples, you know, sputum samples, urine samples, everything, but it doesn't, we don't always get the the cause of that bug back that's caused it. So that's quite common as well for us not to always know what exactly it was. So some really good signs to look out for then, I think, whether you're on a ward or whether you're in the community, that's really useful because I know that a patient that I took over the care of who has had sepsis, he had some work on his teeth done and stayed at home and had had an infection. But actually it was a mental health nurse that took him into hospital because he wasn't particularly good at recognizing his own signs and symptoms and that they went in and recognized there was something wrong so I think it's really useful to have that information for everybody across the board what's the treatment then so for sepsis we've got the sepsis six which is just basically it's a, a group of strategies if you like which are put in place in order to control the source of infection measure and restore the circulation and oxygen delivery hopefully so you've got the way Kate, will, the, the Kate with a Y, will be able to <laughs> help me with this as well. The way oh, that yeah. we, we explain to people to remember three it, <laughs> three in, three out, yeah. So if you want to go ahead and you want to say what they are. Oh, no, because I'm on the spot now. I'm <laughs> going to forget them. Go on, so, we'll do it together then. Yeah, so you give fluids, antibiotics, yep. catheterize, yep. take blood, yep. check um, blood cultures, lac- including lactate. Yep. And there's, see, there's always the sixth oxygen. one. But they don't always need oxygen. Sometimes it's, it's, it's your target's at 94%. If you need it, oxygen, then give it. If you don't, you know, but you don't always need it. But what's really important is if you can get the blood cultures before you give the antibiotics, because then you've got more chance of finding out what, what's caused yeah. it and what's caused the, caused the sepsis. But going back a little bit to what you said about community nurses and things, looking out for signs and mm-hmm. symptoms... Because obviously you can't measure lactates, you can't do all the things that we yeah. can do in hospital. But your things like your temperatures, it doesn't always have to be a high temperature, it can sometimes be a low temperature as well. Things like your respiratory rate, because that can be one of the first signs that your patient's deteriorating. So look look out for that. And it, it's one of the simplest things that we do as nurses, but we don't always take into account of what it can tell us about a patient. So that's one of the first things that you can look for. You can, you know, that's something that we can all do. Yeah. You don't need any any special equipment for that. So respiratory rate is one of your first signs that can be that your patient's deteriorating. 
your heart rate is another one you can look for. If your heart rate is above, above 90, which is another one that we can all do. And if you suspect that they've got a source for infection, then seek that further help. Like as a newly qualified, and I think in uni it gets taught into you like, trust your gut. And I remember thinking as a student, oh my God, the only thing my gut can tell you was when it's hungry. But actually, <laughs> you do have a gut instinct. And like you were saying, it is something simple like, their resps are up or this just yeah. isn't the same person I was looking after yesterday and I've got it wrong yeah. like I've put the fast positive out for people and it's been sepsis because it's the slurred speech that I've noticed but you will never get into trouble for escalating something yeah. no. and ruling it out and you will never get no. into trouble for saying there's something wrong with this patient doctors are so busy and I completely appreciate that but you've just escalate it you will never get into trouble for saying that there's something wrong with it and I think I think the thing is as well we're the ones that are with that patient we're the ones that have seen that patient possibly for two three days on the run and we're the ones that know when that's not right and they've changed there's something different about them and as Kate said you'd never get into trouble yeah. for saying I think this patient may have sepsis if it gets in the treatment say and if you're not happy that you know the somebody that's come along to see them if you're not happy still not happy and speak to somebody else yeah it's it's important that they get the treatment in the timely manner and i think i think that's because just people don't always really show useful. on a new score yeah yeah and and i think that no it's don't. really useful to news. see things you can then, do at home you know in someone's in the community so i guess that leads yeah. us because obviously we've got the month of september and hopefully people will already have had lots of information about sepsis and this will encourage them to go and find out more so if you could each just give one top tip or top fact to do with sepsis what would what would that be do you think I think mine is just if you even suspect it tell somebody and act on it don't think oh there's something wrong there and go just it's not you know it, it might not always be and I've got it wrong before but that's fine because you've ruled something out so if somebody isn't right and you think even if you don't know if they've got an infection you know if you're in the community just rule it out take them to a GP, ring whatever number it is, NHS direct, <laughs> take them to hospital if they're really one, not well. One here it is. Yeah, I don't know if it's different England, Wales. That's I'm why I sure. sort of panicked mm, there. But ring that number. No, I can not um, <laughs> Yeah, just escalate it. And if you're in a ward and even if you're newly qualified, just go for it because nobody will say, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. They'll, you know, you're not going to get into trouble for saying there's something wrong with this person ever. Yeah. <laughs> I think the main important points that I can say are get your basics right, early escalation and early antibiotics. Fab. And I think it's really great because I, I was really privileged that, and I think we were at the same talk at Congress where we saw a survivor speak of after sepsis, which was incredible and the impact it had had on his life and the emotions. And you think when you hear it that you'll remember that forever and you do remember aspects of it forever. But I think it's always really good to have a reminder about you know how sepsis can affect people yeah um, and impact their life but also I, a reminder of what to look for because that's so important yeah and can I just say you know there is there is support out there for, for sepsis survivors I run with the UK sepsis trust I run a, a sepsis support group we meet every every 12 12 weeks in Wrexham it's the first one in North Wales it just helps people feel that they're not on their own on their and that own. the signs yeah. and symptoms that they're going through is normal. It just helps they just come and they have a chat, you know, with other survivors. And like I say, it just helps them realise that what they're going through is normal. But the UK Sepsis Trust is a great place to, to go and get information. 
they on know, Twitter for, for the public and for, for nurses as well they are yes yeah so yeah. if you can you tell us where to find the two of you on Twitter as well that would be really useful do you know yeah, your well, I am remember Kate what my name is on Twitter Kate it's Kate with a Y <laughs> yeah Kate with so a Y Kate 83, 83. The UK Sepsis Trust, just if people I, want to follow them, is at UK Sepsis it's, Trust. Yeah, it's just at UK Trust. Yeah. And I um, think I'm trying to I'm trying, trying to, to remember you what yours, yours are. It's you are uh, Sinclair 9 Kate. There you go. There Sinclair you go. 9 Kate, <laughs> but without a Y. So it's been brilliant yeah. talking to you both. And I thank try, you so I try much. and put a lot of sepsis stuff on there. Fab. We'll, we'll get people oh, yeah. following that. So thank I you so much for joining us. And we will catch up with both of you I'm sure at some other point thank you so I had that joy of speaking to the two Kates from Wales which was great and we missed you though Craig and um, as Aww. I mentioned when I was talking to them we really passionately believe about hearing the experience of people with lived um, experience and sepsis is no different and so we are delighted that our next interview which we were, were back together as it should be for we interviewed a very fabulous nurse with lived experience of sepsis. So we are delighted to be joined by Katie Dutton. Katie is a newly registered nurse who took up her first post in intensive care and has been working there over the last six months. I've also had the privilege to know Katie for the last couple of years. So thanks for joining us today, Katie. Uh, thank you for having me. Oh no, so nice we... to meet you, Katie. We are so, so grateful. So normally, Katie, when we have someone on, we ask them to introduce themselves and a bit about their story into nursing. But with what our podcast is focusing on today about sepsis and sepsis awareness, now you've been very open about your lived experiences of sepsis. So we're going to flip it in its head because your reason for getting into nursing, which you'll go into in much more detail, is very inextricably linked into why you've become a nurse. So first, if you don't mind, can you just chat with us a little bit about your lived experiences of sepsis and then how that led you into nursing and where you are now? Yes, of course. I'll try and keep it as succinct as I can because quite a lot happened very quickly during that time. So I previously worked in microbiology and then I did a bit of HCA work um, at a cancer hospital. So I sort of nibbled in the whole industry of uh, caring for people and hospital environments but then I became quite poorly myself so I had about two years where I was very very poorly and they couldn't quite work out what was wrong I kept getting recurrent UTIs and kidney infections and needing regular hospital admissions to try and keep that under control as the the organism started to become more resistant to antibiotics so I was undergoing a lot of investigations at the time and as part of that they inserted a PICC line into my arm just to make it a bit easier for me to access IV antibiotics if I needed them. At the time I didn't actually have an infection for a period of two to three weeks and the line in my arm was left in and wasn't flushed, it wasn't cleaned and my arm doubled in size. And uh, as I was transferred between two different trusts, none of my paperwork for the line came with me. So they wouldn't use it, but they wouldn't take it out because okay. they weren't sure where else they'd get IV access from. So I was in a bit of a pickle with that. And so the night before I got sepsis, I was feeling really unwell. My arm was super heavy. I spoke to one of the specialist nurses and she 
ran in the room and was like, we need to take that out now. Your arm's like three times the size it should be. Yeah. So really proactive and managed to get the line out. And they started me on an antibiotic I was already, I'd already been taking. So it didn't work. And overnight I became even more poorly. I was a young gal and I was in a side room and they thought, we'll just leave her to sleep overnight because, you know, I'm young. <laughs> yeah. She should be okay. And uh, in the morning, I had a massive red flag sepsis and all of my veins had completely shut down. I had no IV access. And in, yeah, I think they willed me to fear too in the end. And the last thing I remember was just sort of looking at the ceiling, like thinking I was going to die and there was no one around. That's just um, so horrible. Yeah. And then I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, um, from that point, for the next couple of weeks, I can't really remember much of what happened. It's just completely erased from my memory. I know I was in intensive care for quite a while. Um, and I can only imagine it was so much harder on my parents who were completely aware of the situation than it was for me when I didn't really know what was happening. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's what happened. Because with... I think that's, and when you're mentioning your parents there, because that was something that Claire spoke to the other two Kates about is sepsis not only impacts the individual, but has such an yeah. impact on the entire family unit and yes. not just that physical impact that it had on you, and uh, I'm sure the subsequent mental health impact it had on you, but the mental health impact on families and the loved ones yes. of that individual. Yeah, it absolutely changes everything. And it's like all of what you knew before, like it's, it's like a different person almost afterwards that you have to sort of kind of get used to and, and, and how they're feeling and how you can support that person differently um, through that time. So I think, yeah, in that so, initial couple of weeks, I think it was much worse for my family yeah. than me um, emotionally. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say, as someone who lived with it, if we've got anyone listening who, who gets ill and thinks they might be getting sepsis or has, has symptoms, what was it you really felt like having lived, lived through? What were the sort of signs? Now you know what it was yeah. that you think might have been sepsis that people could look out for. Yeah. I think that period in the morning before I lost consciousness and don't remember anything, I felt very, very cold and shivery. I felt like my arm was on fire and the rest of my body was like in ice. It was the weirdest experience. On top of that, I felt incredibly sick and nauseous. And then I just had this feeling of impended doom, like something really bad was happening, yeah. which I know happens quite a lot to people suffering from sepsis and it's I think it's a symptom that as nurses we we should really respond to even if new scores are okay like is our patient saying something's really wrong yeah and that's really interesting because you're really clear about where your infection started in your pick line but when I was talking to the two Kate some people won't know and it's those things that they need to pay attention to and they were saying that they sometimes never know where the initial infection is yeah absolutely and I think that's so important I think part of the sepsis six now is to source control so what can we do to try and find out where this infection has come from should we be doing urinalysis should we be you know doctors be ordering a chest x-ray you know things like that so we can try and get to the bottom of things but if not the blood cultures should hopefully give us an idea as well as to what infection's happening so your experience 
while it was obviously horrific for you to go through, turned on its head and you are truly inspirational young woman, Katie. So <laughs> how did you take what you went through and get to where you are now? Well, as part of my recovery, I had to have major reconstruction on my urinary tract to, to fix the underlying problem. So this was about six to seven months after the sepsis happened and I spent another two weeks in intensive care after that and whilst I was in intensive care I had this one nurse who looked after me quite a lot um obviously in between our days off <laughs> when, when we get them <laughs> we occasionally get those <laughs> yeah so she spent an awful lot of time with me and uh, it was the two weeks before Christmas and I remember her I remember her encouraging me and pushing me and at times thinking why are you doing this you know getting me out of bed and and just really really motivating me to to get up and try and walk and get better and without her I don't know what I would have done mm. she was so so supportive and even after I left intensive care on Christmas day she came and bought me a Christmas card on the ward and Aww. some jelly beans and I always remember that and I thought that's what being an intensive care nurse is all about you know going that extra mile and really treating that person as if they're a person you know yeah. and and yeah. what they're going through and, and emotionally supporting them the best you can because whilst a lot of people we you know are sedated in intensive care we don't know how much they remember yeah so it's just important yeah. to constantly have that communication yeah and so and then so from <laughs> <laughs> that's what inspired my career so in the recovery from my operation I I decided I was going to do my access to nursing so I googled uh, from my hospital bed <laughs> um <laughs> how do I become a nurse and I went through the distance learning center and did all of my modules pretty much either in my hospital bed or my bed at home <laughs> whilst wow. I recovered from this big operation so I think a year later I started at university <laughs> oh, that is incredible it's just yeah. such an inspiration Katie and you've been very very humble Katie has done a lot of incredible work while you were a student nurse and won several awards based on a lot of the work that you have done around sepsis. Do you, do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? <laughs> oh yeah, I feel very, very lucky to have got any sort of award really for the work I've done and most of it just come out of complete passion for wanting to improve sepsis education. I think when I was at uni, we had a brilliant two-hour session on sepsis it was all about the pathophysiology and the science behind sepsis, but it wasn't engaging enough. For, for, I felt it wasn't engaging enough for students to understand why we need to know this um, yeah. and really understand, okay, so this is the physiology of sepsis, but we're learning this because this is why it's so important. You know, these are the facts, these are the statistics. So I just felt like there needed to be a day where we incorporated all of that. So first we got people engaged and so they understand how many people this affects, um, not only in the UK, but across the world. And then from there, they will understand how important it is to know this stuff about yeah. the sepsis six and the pathophysiology. And it worked really, really well. And I was so, so happy. I had the support of the UK Sepsis Trust. They came to the second day, which was brilliant. And then the critical care outreach team came from our local hospital to talk about actually how do we approach this when we're in practice and 
the students just found it you know so much more practical so much more easy to understand and and really got something from it and a couple of the students have since come back to me and said I managed to find a red flag sepsis you know whilst I was at work and it's it's stuff like that that's like the real the real award for me because <laughs> I just think you know to make that sort of difference is incredible yeah no and we're recording this on national sepsis day we yeah. are 32 <laughs> and Craig is going to work really hard and get it out on national sepsis day I will uh, and all month of September is sepsis awareness month as well yeah. so people can really get engaged and find out but yes, yeah, so Katie won the RCNI Student Nurse of the Year and the um, Student Nursing Congress Future Nursing Leader. Uh, so how have your first six months been as a newly qualified nurse working in intensive care? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I've absolutely loved it. I mean, we couldn't have picked a better time, could we, Craig, really? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's... To be fair, I think it's been the most rewarding thing to be able to make a difference during such a, a terrible time and and during the pandemic. And I think I try to switch it on the head and say, rather than how unlucky are we to have been sort of faced with this so early in our careers, to actually how amazing it is that, that we get to make a difference so quickly yeah. in our career. So, yeah, I've That's, absolutely loved it. <laughs> Do you, do you worry, because obviously you're back in an intensive care setting, which is where you where you were and where you were poorly and clearly where you therefore then did an access course, like, you know, not like most people. Um, <laughs> but do you do you worry about your own health? Because I think that's something that people misunderstand. You can get sepsis again, can't you? It's not yeah. once yeah. you're over it, it's never coming back. Is that something that being in that environment plays on your mind? Um. I feel like I manage it really well but it's because I know I need to so mm-hmm. there's certain things I do throughout the day to try and optimize my health so I'm really trying to keep myself hydrated whilst I'm at work and make sure I get toilet breaks when I need to go and things like that so just to try and optimize my own health and also try not to do too many shifts at one go so try and sort my rotor so I can do two and one or I know I did four last week in a row, but that was that was just one time. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just try and manage it the best I can because I think, I mean, I need to look after myself as well. So in order to yeah. look after other people. We're big advocates of that, aren't we, Craig? The whole yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as well with sepsis, it takes so long to recover physically and mentally from it. And yeah. post-sepsis syndrome is a horrible thing to have I mean I'm happy to talk to you a bit more about it yeah definitely Um, so after I had sepsis I suffered quite badly with post-sepsis syndrome physically it was the fatigue the uh, muscle weakness and poor concentration things like that that were really difficult to manage especially in my first year at uni I mean I did terrible in my first year at uni think god it didn't count <laughs> towards <laughs> anything but it just took me so long to build up the brain energy to work academically yeah. again not only as like a mature student but as someone whose whose brain had been quite shut off for a whole year so it took a lot to to build that up again and it takes so so much time and you just have to look after yourself with that and then from an emotional point of view so I had anxiety really bad and um, my mood fluctuated all the time and PTSD was the biggest thing yeah and for the first year after sepsis I did not leave my house without a thermometer 
I became completely obsessed with taking my own temperature. And um, I'd even take out spare batteries for the thermometer in case they died. So I was absolutely, I, like, I would not leave the house unless my temperature was in range. Yeah. And it, it, it took a while for me to say, actually, like, it's not going to change anything right then, right there, like at that yeah. point. So I need to, and slowly it, it got better. But it just goes to show that how severely sepsis can impact. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's great to hear you talk about how obviously not great as in what you went through, but that real mental impact. I know Claire from a mental health nurse perspective, people who have been through sepsis, we often think it is all just about the intensivists and but it really has an impact for individuals when they've had it and come then back out into the community. Definitely. And I think we're gonna learn from from that. I think we're going to see a similar thing post-COVID with some people and that will be your experience I think you know when, when I hear you talking very particular to sepsis but then there's also mm. things with other people that you'll they'll gain so much from hearing just that honesty about you taking a thermometer out is really honest and I think people need to know that you don't get discharged from hospital and everything's 100% A-OK and, and off you go. So I guess like that was one of the things I was talking to the two Kates about, which was, you know, we as mental health nurses, I, don't, I think we might have had like a mention of sepsis in one of our lectures, but I don't think we had sessions. My university was really good. They did drop-in sessions and I actually chose to go to one, but in terms of timetabled, we, we didn't have anything timetabled. And I was talking to them very much about how this is, something that we all need to be aware of as members of the public but especially as nurses and now I'm a community nurse so you know advocating for people on on their behalf so what we ask at the end of everybody is just to give some advice that would maybe cross over all fields of nursing about the specific topic so what would you say to nurses whatever field they're in or setting they're in to help them think about sepsis with their patients that's a really good question because I think there's so many community nurses and mental health nurses where some of the symptoms are, can be a sign of mental health illness, but they can also be a sign of sepsis. And yep. we don't all have a blood pressure machine and a thermometer and stuff that we carry around with us. So how do those nurses spot the signs of sepsis? And I think, I don't know if you know the is it acronym for sepsis. So S standing for slurred speech. E for extreme pain and shivering, P for not pass any urine in a day, S for severe breathlessness, I for I feel like I'm going to die, and S again for skin mottled and discoloured. So these are all signs we can look for just with our own eyes. We don't need any equipment to do that, and, and, and then we can escalate it further if we need to. And then in the hospital setting, we have red flag sepsis and it's so, so important. It's that golden hour. And I was reading a report the other day that was published in 2018. It says for every hour that we delay sepsis treatment, the mortality rate increases by 7.6%. So you think, oh, I'll leave that for a couple of hours. That, that's almost 20% less of a chance that someone's going to survive from sepsis. Yeah. So it's just so important to treat quickly. And the whole sepsis six bundle, you know, if you don't have it in your trust, most trusts do have it. If you don't, new score will probably pick some stuff up. And clinical judgment is also so, so important uh, because 
you know, in the intensive care setting, we have patients that have a high temperature. We, could think, we bring it straight down with paracetamol. We have patients with low blood pressure, which is a sign of red flag sepsis. We bring it up with inotrope support and your neuroadrenaline and things like that. So we're constantly leveling out care in intensive care and it's really difficult to spot a red flag sepsis. So I think clinical judgment is so, so important. Oh, Katie, it's been so great to speak to you and thank you for taking your time. I know you've had a very busy, busy week and it's been great to speak to you on International Sepsis Day and I hope you have a lovely rest of your day with your little oh, yeah. Thank you so much. If anyone, so wants much. To, if anyone wants to follow you on social media, where can they find you? So I think my Twitter handle is just Katie Dutton 17 I think that was probably the year I made it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just search Katie Dutton. I will be up there somewhere. Perfect. There's a lot of Katie's out there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. And we'll speak again soon. So it was absolutely fabulous talking to Katie this morning. And what you guys didn't see is we also got to see her cute puppy. So that was also hugely exciting. Normally, Craig and I would sit and reflect and talk about the interviews and how they would affect our practice. But we think that the three people we spoke to speak for themselves and that this is a really important topic. And so we'd just like you to spend time thinking yourself about what they've, they've said and take it that forward rather than listening to... Craig and I, who have much less experience than the three fabulous people you've heard from. Absolutely. And all of this month is Sepsis Awareness Month, but we should we should be aware of sepsis all the time. So what I would recommend, like all three of our speakers mentioned the UK Sepsis Trust. I'm sure if anyone's listening internationally, your countries all will have their own sepsis charities and sepsis trusts. So really make yourself aware um, of what the signs and symptoms are, both for you as an individual, should, should you be affected by sepsis directly or one of your loved ones, or as a nursing professional or someone working within the health and social care field about how you can make yourself up to date and aware of the most recent evidence and then Claire has come up with a brilliant idea of what we would love you to do after listening to this episode so I'll pass to my podcast wife for her closing statements oh thanks podcast husband so we are launching this today on the 13th Craig's going to do some speedy editing right in the middle of sepsis month but on sepsis awareness day so what we would like people to do is have a listen to what our our guests have said have a think about things for yourself and we'd love to see you make a pledge on twitter about something that you're going to do whether that's raising awareness looking out for signs in patients looking after yourself learning the acronym whatever it is please put a a, a pledge on twitter tag uh, us um on our twitter account at pod rtp and don't forget to tag the uk sepsis trust in Okay, so we will speak to you in a fortnight. Back to our fortnightly schedule. So we look forward to speaking to you then. But up until then, take care of yourself and remember to keep the passion alive. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. To make sure you stay up to date with our latest podcast, subscribe to Retain the Passion on your usual podcast provider. You can follow us on all the social media channels at PodRTP on Twitter facebook.com forward slash pod rtp or see our website www.podrtp.com for all our episodes you can follow craig at craig davidson 85 on twitter or me claire at manners of marple see you next time all music from this podcast was courtesy of kevin mcleod